This podcast is from a previously recorded YouTube video. If you'd like to watch that video, go to www.youtube.com and search for Chris Chocolade. Welcome to Chris Chocolade Live. I'm here with Stephen Alloy. Hey, everybody. We're going to talk about cream in particular. We're going to talk about a drummer. Yeah. Ginger Baker. Ginger Baker. Uh, None like him. None like him. And if you're just joining us, if you're not joining us live, you're joining us in replay. Thanks for coming and watch. We're going to talk about Ginger Baker and the band Cream. In particular, we're talking about Disraeli Gears. We'll do a little Mm -hmm. album review. Yeah, one one of my favorite. I mean, there's not a bad Cream album. There really isn't. But um, somehow Disraeli Gears always stands out for me. Uh, Maybe it's because I, I think this was probably the first Cream album I heard as a a young, uh, yeah, probably junior high, um, you know, juvenile delinquent. Uh, I heard uh, "Sunshine of Your Love" was on the radio. That's on this album, and so of course we sought out uh, the album and saw the cover, and uh, which you can see behind us. And you know, uh, we just said, "Oh, I, I got to hear that!" And oh my goodness, what a great album! What a great album! It is a great album. It, like the just, it, um, every. You know, most albums I like, or most of the bands I end up liking, have a strong drummer, strong percussion section. Mm-hmm. And while like the um, Cream, I didn't like wasn't like growing up. I didn't listen to, wasn't on my radar. And it was just uh, it's been fun. I discovered Cream later, and it was really fun researching Ginger Baker because mm-hmm. it led me into some other drummers that he really enjoyed oh, listening yeah. to and mentored and so just going down the rabbit holes of what bands were they in even what bands ginger baker's been in um that's been fun finding those and listening to some of the tunes that those come up came, came up with and you know two things about cream uh it, it's similar in a way we, we've done a couple on the doors and um the one commonality between cream and the doors there aren't a lot but the one i think is that most people tend to think of both groups as uh, really a vehicle for one particular individual when really the style actually came from some others. In the case of Cream, I think most people think, oh, that's Eric Clapton's group. And Eric Clapton certainly is a, is a signature part of Cream. However, yeah. um, you know, it was really, it was pretty heavily managed and some might say overmanaged by Jack Bruce. And the sound, um, I, I guess I would make the argument just like I've made the argument that the Doors sound is really Ray Manzarek. Uh, I would argue that the cream sound is really Ginger Baker. Yeah, uh, I mean, really has the style and the sound that it, that he created. That, and I found that the uh, well, that gets you to the Grand Bond organization, and yeah, and how do you mm-hmm. um, from the Grand Bond organization? Why Ginger wanted to help, or you know, why Ginger wanted to form Cream? Was, yeah, exactly. Was, exactly. was the highlight his drums, and so. Well, and this, you know, I'm, I'm glad you brought up uh, the Grand Bond organization because that, that sort of leads into one of um, into my first question. So okay. one, one of the frameworks That's we it. do here is we ask 10 questions that obviously Ginger is in no position to yeah, answer anymore. Yeah, let's cover that real quick. So we, the whole idea of what we're going to do on this podcast, we're going to come up with 10 questions we'd want to ask Ginger Baker. Yeah. And the idea is, is kind of use the Socratic method. That means just trying to find the truth of the matter. And, and our way of finding that truth is often kind of funny. So we'll... Uh, mm-hmm. We'll dive that. We'll dive in and see what we can. What were those ten questions we really want to ask Ginger Baker? We have some thoughts on what those ten questions are, mm-hmm. but the idea is we don't we don't know where we're going with this. This is mm-hmm. live, and so right. we're just going to kind of talk through it and come up with what those ten questions are and just kind of have a conversation. 
Well, and, and, you know, Chris and I are improvisers. In fact, we're part of a comedy improv group. If you're ever in Omaha, look us up. We'll let us know. We'll come to some shows. So we improvise a lot of this, too. This yes, is not yeah. a heavily scripted show. Case, no, we just do a... Maybe you thought it was really heavily scripted. No, you know, it's not. We really don't know what we're saying. And we, and, uh, we do do a lot of research. We, uh, I think both of us like watching documentaries. Right. Oh, yeah. I like yeah. pulling up JSTOR or the uh, academic journals and see mm-hmm. what's written out there and just finding... I'm doing some deep web searches or read autobiographies. I really enjoyed watching the, uh, the there's a, it's actually on YouTube. There's a neat uh, biography on, uh, mm-hmm. on Ginger Baker oh, that I, yeah. um, beware Mr. Baker. Beware Mr. Baker. Yeah. Is the name. And Definitely it, worth watching. Yeah. Cause he talks about himself a whole lot in that. And I thought it was a pretty well balanced, mm-hmm. um, from what I, you know, doing my due diligence it seemed like it's a fairly, um, from what was represented, seemed to be the truth. There's always other aspects of it, but it, it was kind of interesting mm-hmm. um, what they had strung together and being be, um, beware, Mr. Baker. Mm-hmm. And you know, with the the questions that we ask as part of this, the ten questions, they're more. Uh, I guess they're more like essay questions. They're more discussion questions. A lot of these questions don't really have a a set answer. It's not like yes or no. Um, although I, I think if Ginger Baker were alive and in this room, we asked him some of these questions, he might answer yes, no, or perhaps an upset. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> right? Right? He might say that. I'm yes. Sorry. He'd say, yo, fuck yes, or whatever. But um, these are more discussion type of questions. Yeah, absolutely. So and, oh, and it's kind of like what, what would, if you were sitting down or if it was like Ginger Baker was your, if you had a beer or maybe you were, dare I say, shooting mm-hmm. up with Ginger Baker. Like, what well, you would probably you, wouldn't talk a lot if you were shooting up for Ginger Baker, but a beer you might talk. But yeah. what would you? What were some of those questions you would talk about? If you're Art Blakely, you know what kind of right. questions would you want? And that's where we're mm-hmm. going for it. And right. hopefully, we get out some new information, and you find this a little bit funny and a little bit valuable. Yes. Uh, why don't you just with that first question, Steve? Well, my first question, uh, thinking about the the personnel in Cream, and you know, talking about how uh, it was. Really, very heavily managed by Jack Bruce, who kind of who bass player did most of the vocals. There were a few vocals he did not do, but by and large did the vocals as well. Um, Jack Bruce and Ginger Baker played together in a lot of different groups. They started out the uh, in a group called Blues Incorporated. Then they went to the Graham Bond organization. Then they went to Cream. Then they were going different directions for many years. Then they actually got to, together again for a group called BBM, which was basically Cream without Clapton. And uh, then they did a Cream reunion, you know, about 10 years ago or whatever, so yeah. 15 years ago. So now on the face of it, that looks like a long partnership, but uh, the backstory is they hated each other. Uh, Jack Bruce and, and Ginger Baker could not get along. Um, I, from what I can have read, never got along. Just did not like each other. Um, and, and such great, just really, or really, such as brilliant musicians. Oh yeah, these two oh. strong personalities. Yeah, brilliant uh, musicians. both very talented, uh, but just really hated each other. The point: uh, Ginger Baker pulled a knife on Jack Bruce once. He said that didn't bother me so much. It's just he was kind of rude about it. <laughs> right. Like, okay. And then uh, Ginger Baker's autobiography, which I read part of, I didn't read all of, but. Uh, one part was he was talking about uh, that when Ginger Baker moved to Africa, I'm skipping way ahead, many years later, uh, Jack Bruce said, well, it's good that we're on different continents, but I think I'm going to call him and say he's still a little too close. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, they really did not like each other. But yet, over like 40 years, 
they basically worked together and created some incredible music. Yeah, like they, they, I would ask Ginger to talk about that. Like, man, what was that like? You know, because I know you guys hated each other. I mean, it's clear. <laughs> right. It, was, it almost like? seemed like on stage or when they were playing together, there was like this competition that sounded like when you listen mm-hmm. to Ginger anywhere or Jack Bruce. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting. Like, Jack seems a little bit more sedated, like now, and Ginger mm-hmm. does not. Um, yeah, I, I would never, even when he was in the throes, in the thick of heroin addiction, he was not what anyone would call sedated. He was pretty active. Right. Like, like, never in his yes. life. Like, like, it was always, um, yeah, he was always ginger. Like, it was just, like, you knew you mm-hmm. were getting with this guy. And he was, uh, it was all about the art for him, the art of mm-hmm. playing drums. Yeah. But, and, and maybe that would be his answer, is that, you know, when he, that his music life wasn't his personal life and and you know when he was there he was all about you know hitting the time and jack bruce could hit the time okay i don't yeah. like the guy but you know he's good okay well it's almost they he were... could hit the time we do it well together i don't really want to talk to the guy ever off stage but you know hey we work well together maybe that was it yeah and well you hit on something because there's a comment he makes about jack bruce where he's like he like jack is always just doing it halfway because he talks, I think <laughs> yeah. he's talking about when they were in, like Jack is still playing, he's not playing bass guitar, he's playing uh well, He played bass. regular, he played regular guitar bass. and bass, but he played, oh, played the stand-up bass. Yeah, yeah the stand-up yeah, bass. Right. And, he did that at first and then went to a guitar. Right, and, and, and Ginger's upset, or he said, he went to the guitar too soon, we had more to do with him just playing the big bass. Mm-hmm. And, and so it was all about the art, and Ginger just thought that his vision of the art with Jack was the right one. And of course, Jack, you know, had a different viewpoint. He's like, mm-hmm. I want to go to the guitar now. Right. But Jack, but Ginger was like, no, we have more work to do with you playing bass and me on mm-hmm. drums. Yeah. And so it was a deep respect for Jack. But he, what he's angry about with him is that you went to the guitar, which is like his vision of where he needs to be. And Ginger's mm-hmm. like, no, that's not what my brain sure, says. My like my vision is different somewhere else. Right? Yeah. Exactly. It, yeah. This kind of reminds me of like that's like we um, read Steve Jobs bio where mm-hmm. he has this vision of the world and he would make you like his, his genius was to make everyone believe in his vision. Like if you weren't in his world, then he would like convince you, this is my world. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's what Ginger Baker just couldn't do. Like he had a vision of the world, but he couldn't bring in like Jack Bruce to mm-hmm. to, to see the same vision. And Jack has his own v- viewpoint for right. the world, yeah, and of, of where he should be. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so why like like so your question is like why are you so angry at Jack? Well, and, and yeah, talk about what that was like working together. You know, it's it's one thing if you could do it for short term and yeah, okay, yeah, and you can put up with anything for a short period of time. I, I'm talking, I'm talking most of his life. I'm talking forty years. They worked together, right? I, what yeah, was that, what was that like, man? That must like have Cream wouldn't last that long. And it, it you know, was, Cream was short, but I mean, his Jack Bruce Association, Cream was just a couple of years. Yeah, yeah, and maybe part I mean, part of his like. You can only have so much of this going on. Well, I, I, I think that was part of it. It was like an amazing band. Well, I think I think in part, Eric Clapton said, uh, you know, he kind of looked at what was happening with with Ginger Baker and said, "Yeah, I think I'm done." Yeah, <laughs> I think I think I got other things to do and went on to have a great career on his mm-hmm. own, of course. Yes. Well, and what I'd like to do is maybe right now because we talked about the Grand Bond organization mm-hmm. and YouTube oh, yeah. will not yeah. let us play any cream music. Even because um, it, it's not licensed, but we can play 
Yet you can go on YouTube and play cream music, but we can't play cream music over YouTube. This is logic, right? Okay. So right. when you're done, don't leave now. But when you're done, go listen to this album. You can probably listen to this whole album. Yeah, it's not licensed on YouTube. So if oh. I if I try to play yeah, this music, okay. uh, if I, we try to play play the music, we get a strict like your videos banned. Wow. Like I checked it out. I finally found the copyright stuff on YouTube because I, this happened to me on Halloween where I was playing some music and um, some bands like will let you play it and they just get the money from your channel. Other bands, mm-hmm. like there's not an agreement with for cream music, I guess with YouTube. And so hmm. it's like, it's wow. either banned in 285 countries. So I don't know who the 286 one is that we can play. They'll show <laughs> right. the YouTube video. But Probably I mean, South Africa. That's where... Yeah, maybe, maybe, we're, maybe maybe they're just they're in South Africa. Nice. Is our YouTube? We'll go over there. We'll My, our one audience member from South right. Africa. Yeah, we may have somebody watching South Africa. South Africa. Could, we'll be, be we'll be right. watching. Uh, but let's. It, it, I was just because uh, we're talking about the Grand Bond organization, and I, what I have teed up is early in the morning. This is a it's a song on from the Grand Bond organization. So the Grand mm-hmm. Bond organization was who was that? That was Ginger Baker. Right. Um, Grand Bond, who's is nom- is nominally the band lead, or he's the like, he's organized. He's the one in charge of putting this he's band the together. Titular head, as they call. Yeah, it. you got Jack Bruce. So you already have Bruce, two parts right. of the cream on this organization. You have Jack yeah, Bruce, right. Ginger Baker, and then you have um, Dick Hestel Smith, and uh, and so you have these four folks playing the, in the Grand Bond organization. Mm-hmm. And what was interesting on that on that documentary that brought to light was a lot of folks kind of viewed the Graham, like musicians at the time, that blues musicians, rock musicians, mm-hmm. viewed the Graham Bond organization as the best players, like the best music, the, the um, yeah, the most talented musicians in the Graham Bond organization at mm-hmm. that time frame. And I thought, yeah. wow, that's that a pretty huge statement. Because oh, I mean, yeah. you get like, because of all the other bands that, that are well, famous. Well, and, and you think about it too, there was a huge, uh, there was a huge blues movement in England at that time and, and they were maybe at the at the beginning of that or at the crest of that uh, but you had you know John Mayall you had uh, Long John Baldry you had uh, Elton John actually came out of that it was worked with Baldry and worked with uh, John Mayall uh, so you know you had a lot of really talented people that came out of that uh, and a lot of them went into rock and, and we have two of them you know Jack Bruce and Ginger Baker were two of them two of them as well so it, it was really a lot of a lot of blues music coming out of England at that time, well, imported from America. It was American blues, but it was played by English musicians. Yeah, well, and, let's hear. Um, let's they hear. really produced some great stuff. Right, let's hear some. That's what I'm going to do. So oh, we, yeah. This is called Early Morning Live, and it's, it, mm-hmm. it, this really features Ginger Baker in the Grand Bond organization. So mm-hmm. I thought this would be a kind of cool tune to tee up, see if this works. You haven't heard this played before. This is what I'm doing to make his numbers. Gold. Early in the morning in this place on the prison workshops. Here we go.
I'm just gonna pause it there. Yeah. So you can get it like so. You, you can tell a drummer wrote that, right? I mean, <laughs> but yep. but interestingly enough, you know the the musical part where they were all playing before the drum solo. Um, did that sound at all like Cream to you? I right. Mean, did you hear the Cream change? You hear Jack Bruce. I mean, right? You could kind of hear. <laughs> this is this, that was that was Cream basically. That was a Cream sound. That's why I'd say they he really kind of created it. Yeah. Well, and, and so I mean the backstory I guess is Graham Bond is intoxicated or a lot of the time and so ginger ends up being a de facto manager is kind of the at least you know one mm -hmm. one account of this is he becomes the de facto manager of the grand bond organization and he's like well if i'm doing all this work why don't i just start my own group and yeah. uh, that's how he with mm -hmm. the idea of coming up with cream mm -hmm. so but I, my question has to deal with just kind of right around that time so here he is he's playing in this group um called the grand bond organization and it's it's a pretty cool sound. He he wants yeah. more though. He wants to be able to have more artistic control of, of what's going on. Um, he's fighting with Jack Bruce, and like Jack Bruce is like, I was so glad to get away from Ginger because Ginger was mm -hmm. he, like even Ginger says I was using a lot of heroin at the time, and he's like, I think I just scared Jack all the time. And so that what a crazy yeah. dynamic to have. You got so Jack sure. and him are fighting. <laughs> Yeah, and then uh, but you hear from a music standpoint, what what exact like it? Ginger says he wants to have more artistic control. Got it. Um, so, but what more? What was I guess if you listen to Cream now, is Cream what he wanted? Was that like? Okay. Mm -hmm. I would want to know like if you could go back in time when he's when he's in the Grand Bond organization, what did he hear? And his, what was he hearing that he wasn't able to get out in the Grand Bond organization? Mm -hmm. And was that cream or was it something a little different? Kind of a weird yeah. question. But well, no, that's actually a great question because I, I was thinking, you know, as we were talking about this, his uh, Ginger Baker's early musical influences, early drum influences in particular, were jazz drummers. Not unlike we thought we talked about Charlie Watts in an earlier program, and not unlike Charlie Watts, very influenced by jazz early on. And in particular, Max Roach. He heard uh, was right. you know, probably the greatest, maybe the greatest jazz drummer ever. Um, you know, he heard Max Roach, and, he, and it was like it, it clicked. It's like wow, there's somebody else who gets it because he he kind of had this time. He would beat desks with his fingers in school and stuff, and he just, he always had this like internal time. That and he heard Max Roach go, he's got it too, you know. So is and so you wonder if. If maybe what he and kind of thinking about Jack Bruce saying no, you should stay on the upright bass. Uh, maybe did he want really more to explore jazz a little bit more? Uh, I mean, Cream went a different direction and you know was very successful with it. But you know, did he really? Did he kind of want to? Because later on, once he was not in Cream anymore, um, maybe many years later, uh, he got into sort of African jazz. And so he did kind of play jazz later. Yeah, he did. It was, you know, it was that... Maybe that's what he wanted to do. I don't know. <laughs> it's that, it's that age-old argument. Mm -hmm. What's marketable versus what you want to do as an artist? And mm -hmm. it just, it'd be, you know, if you could... So yeah, so I think that's my question is, is what what would he, when he, when he was in that, in the Grand Bond organization, what was that sound that he was hearing that he really mm -hmm. wanted to do? Uh, and make or was he making the sound and was this ended up because i didn't quite get that from the from what i read it was like he's like well i could 
you know, I can manage my own band and stuff. And mm-hmm. so it was, was that ultimately all it was, but it seemed it part of his answer, like we've been talking about was that he had, he heard a sound and he was like, I didn't have complete artistic control. And I wanted that or more artistic control, not complete, but more mm-hmm. artistic control. Right. And, and, and did, you know, did cream achieve that vision for him? Mm-hmm. Um, or, or was that why he was so angry at Jack Bruce all the time? Yeah, even in Cream, he wasn't quite getting it. Maybe and yeah, he was sort of in charge. Yeah, you know, and, so but he wasn't getting it. You know? Yeah, and you know, actually speaking of Graham Bond, I don't know if have we have we, we haven't shown the picture yet. Have yeah, we? you want to show that? Yeah, I don't know if we can show the picture. This is a picture of the Graham Bond organization. Yeah, if we can so show it here. Yep, here we go. Oh, okay, there they are. That's Graham Bond organization. That is Ginger Baker laying on the table. Uh, that is Graham Bond cupping his head. Uh, and that is Jack Bruce looking like he wants to jam that bottle uh, right, right through Ginger <laughs> Breaker's head. Uh, you could kind of tell this. This picture really says a lot. Um, Even though it's like a posed picture, of course, it's Dick Heston Smith at the feet there. But um, yeah, it's a posed photo. It's a staged, goofy photo. But um, you know, you look at that, and you almost look at that, and you can take away that. Um, Jack Bruce didn't like him that much. You know? <laughs> really, this was not a friend of his. Uh, they didn't feel kind feelings toward him, uh, and and the feeling was it was mutual. So, uh, kind of an interesting shot. Um, yeah, and I I think one of the reasons he left the Graham Bond organization was Graham Bond, I think, who was uh, more interested in substance abuse than than music at some point. They actually became very very popular. I mean, that was. That was his first really big... I mean, he had been in Blues Incorporated before that, but that was really his big success was uh, was the Grand Bond Organization, which, interestingly, is not talked about a lot these days, but... No, no, a Very influential not. group. Yeah, the, yeah. I mean, if, if... When you listen to artists from the time period, they're like, yeah, the Grand Bond Organization had the best musicians at the time frame. You're like, whoa, why aren't... Well, yeah, and, and in fact, I in looking this up, I, I discovered that this... I think was after uh, Ginger Baker left. They well, after they formed Cream. They were joined by a guitarist named John McLaughlin, who later became maybe the creator of fusion jazz. One of the creators, certainly. Chick, Chick Corea would you know be mad if I said he was the creator, but he was one of the creators of fusion jazz, uh, the Mahavishnu Orchestra. He started off with the Grand Bond Organization. I mean, go figure. Right? I I wouldn't have necessarily thought that, but there it was. Yeah, so on this picture, what is this picture, what's the question you end up asking about as we, we I mean, I think you highlight kind of like, all right, here's this weird dynamic that's going on between mm-hmm. Ginger Baker, I mean, obviously it's, it's staged, but still yeah. like you highlight, like we got substance abuse going on, like Graham Bond. Is, well, they were, they were all kind of into substance abuse, I think, to be fair, it wasn't just Graham Bond, but I think the, the thing that really caught me about that photo is obviously it's a stage goofy shot. Everybody's laughing except Jack Bruce. So why he's, he's not thinking it's that funny? He's thinking, yeah, I, I actually would really like to jam this down your throat. I I, I actually would. You know. So maybe the question is the Ginger Baker at this point. Because Ginger Baker looks like he's just having fun with this. Yeah. Right? Oh yeah. He's, yeah. He's, I mean, they're all and they're all kind of laughing, laughing about it. Yeah. Um, so what? Maybe maybe the question is like, all right. So it looks like you guys are having kind of fun, even though mm-hmm. like. Ginger says himself, like, I pulled a knife on Jack. I don't know if this was before or after. Before or after that, that happened. Like, <laughs> it would happen around that time, probably. But Yeah, like, like, when he, like, listening to him talk about it versus being in the moment with him. Maybe that's kind of the question. Is like, what's, mm-hmm. what is that, 
what is going on in your brain when you light up and you're so angry at Jack Bruce? Because like, mm-hmm. like you have this goofy photo, you're all like, at least you're able to pull it together here. You can play together. Um, what do you think about that question? Mm-hmm. Like, well, I think, you know, that, that actually, uh, I had a question that was kind of maybe along the lines of that this question or this photo might, um, you know, lead to. We've, in, in all of our earlier, uh, or most of our earlier um, videotapes, we've um, talked about rhythm sections where we've dealt with drummers, certainly. We've talked about rhythm sections that got along, that really worked well together. Keith Moon and John Entwistle. They were the best friends. Uh, now Keith Moon had some serious disputes with Roger Daltrey and with the, you know with the, you know somebody, with the rest of the Who, but uh, he and Entwistle got along. Pete Townsend would be the rest of the Who, uh, but uh, he and Entwistle were great friends. Um, Charlie Watts uh, didn't have major disagreements, but wasn't as good a friend with the rest of the Rolling Stones. But he and Bill Wyman, great friends still. Even Wyman's no longer with the Stones; they're still great friends. They, you know, here we got people who worked well together and really got along. Actually, were were the closest in the group. Yeah, I mean, here we got the opposite. I mean, these guys worked well together, obviously, but you know, no, they were not, they were anything but friends. It's like the opposite of what the, a a management. If if you brought in Booz Allen, <laughs> and you like Booz Allen, like you mm-hmm. could use like Charlie Watts as a case study, and Booz Allen would be all proud because it's like okay, you know. Mm-hmm. The idea of fostering a relationship, like he would walk around to the band members, he would chit chat with folks yeah. and kind of build a camaraderie. And then when he went out to perform, like that all paid off. Like, like, like it, mm-hmm. like you kind of got the idea that he was building a team and the team came together. In this case, you have a toxic, a clearly toxic relationship going yeah. on. Oh, yeah. Yet their performance, when it came down to it, they're still able, like they, they performed is it you know despite of that time right and so it's like the opposite of what what a booze allen mm-hmm. um type or, or any business book you would get today it would be like don't do this right mm-hmm. like you know that the toxicity of that relationship well and, and you know in fairness i i don't mean to sound like i'm coming down on jack bruce um because just because they weren't friends and i'm not saying it's jack bruce's fault uh, I think, in fairness, Ginger Baker was probably hard to probably hard to be friends with. It was not a not a quite often not a friendly sort of guy off stage. On stage, different different world. Right. Um, he's all about doc- the art. It's oh like, yeah. If you're yeah. not meeting what he sees as the art, it's like wham, he's going to mm-hmm. smack you. Oh yeah. And you know, in that documentary that we talked about, the Beware of Mr. Baker. Um, he says in one of the parts of the interview, he says uh, that Eric Clapton is his best friend in the world. And then, you know, they're talking about Eric Clapton. And Eric Clapton says, well, you know, I, um, yeah, we got along and we, we met in very rarefied environments. You know, we'd meet in studios or on stage. And, you know, when it got into his personal life, he said, I, I kind of walked away. I mean, I didn't want to get involved. I don't really know him. Well, uh, I, I didn't really want to get involved in his personal life because I, I didn't think it'd be good for me. I, it'd be good for my life. I got my, you know, I'm basically saying, I use different words, but he basically said, I got my own problems. I don't, you know, I don't really, didn't really want to get involved because in, yeah. I knew he had a lot of problems and I just, he started to walk away. I think that should be a question too on Clapton. Mm-hmm. Going mm-hmm. back to this picture, yeah. like before we talk about Clapton too much, mm-hmm. do you, would you, are you all right with the idea that maybe the, the question is something to do with, 
know, what is that dynamic between you and Bruce? What, like, what's the toxic relationship going on mm-hmm. between you and Bruce um, at this point? And, <coughs> and how, how did that affect your art? Is that the question? Yeah, well, and I, I think, well, maybe more, um, how did it not affect your art? Because I don't, I, uh, I don't know, or maybe it was the reason they worked so well together because they were trying to outdo each other. But, there you, you know, you, you think about it, I, they, worked, they worked as well together as, uh, as Bill Wyman and Charlie Watts, who were great friends. Yeah, this like yeah. you're saying, like you, you know, know, all these folks that are working well together, they work so well together. You does know? this toxic relationship just end up fueling this competition on mm-hmm. stage? That's like that ends up with this brilliant music because mm-hmm. the, right. the yeah the uh, the song I was playing earlier is it's early in the morning. And it's the Grand Bond Organization, and it's it's a live take from um, Clute Creek. So it's the Clute Creek. It's just a live take from Clue mm-hmm. Creek and stuff they came in. And so did, when they're playing live, does that mean, like, are they just, is that what it's all about? And it's that competition on stage and that, that's kind of fueling that art for them. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe. Yeah. And so like what, so that's kind of the question that you're mm-hmm. getting to is um, like what, despite them not work being friends together, um, you know what? What was it? Uh, like, had they been friends, would the art not has been good? Yeah, you wonder. I mean, maybe that's, that's what it took. Question: Because uh, you look at Ginger Baker's life, and maybe it took, you know, antagonism and you know adversity and and uh, you know scrappiness to to create the art. I think that's the question. Is I like, mean, and you look at a guy like Charlie Watts, who is you know stylistically as good a drummer as I think is Ginger Baker. But Ginger but would say no. Ginger would say no. <laughs> but then some might say, but hey, you know, I think Charlie Watts is a darn good drummer. Yeah. Um, you know, but there could not be two different personalities. I mean, Charlie Watts uh, likes to go to work and come home. I mean, he works like his he lives more or less like he's a CPA or something. You know, he's just normal kind of life. Right. Uh, Ginger Baker, not at all. You know, very, very different. Uh, so, you know, great drummers, but completely. So maybe that's, and, you know, for Charlie Watts' art, it gets disturbed if he's got too much adversity. He he kind of walks away from that. You know, maybe he and Clapton should have worked together. That that would have been a good combination. But, um, you know, maybe Ginger Baker needs that that hostility to, to create. It's sad if he did, but... Maybe that's what it took, and maybe that's what it took for Jack Bruce too. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Maybe they, maybe they were more alike than you know. Jack you Bruce would have liked to admit. Maybe that's <laughs> you know, that, I don't know. that's also funny. Well, that kind of gets us. Let's go into question five then. I mean, I don't yeah. know. If, yeah, I don't know if I get. Do I get question five or I? I don't know. Um, I'll take where you're kind of going with. That. I got another one. If you don't, I you know. Um, well, I, I have so many questions. You have so many questions. Ginger. I got lots of questions too. Such, such. Like, did he hate the name Ginger? No, yeah. <laughs> you know, I think that we can. Yeah, we got to save. We got to. We got to ask that question. Yeah, his name is what? Patrick. Uh, the, Peter Edward Peter Baker. Edward, yeah, Peter, Peter Edward Patrick, Baker. Which, Peter if Edward. I said we're here to talk about Peter Edward Baker, no nobody would know. say. Nobody would click on Dude, this. Not, not too many people know who Ginger Baker. Is is. Even Ginger Baker. people would know who. Right. Ginger Baker. No, yeah, that one I'll click on. Yeah. Well, let's go to. Let's go down that. Um, you you, meant, you brought up Clapton, mm-hmm. uh, and yeah. so so right after the Grand Bond organization, I guess he knows Clapton at this point, and he he wants yeah Clapton like, Clapton had been around with um, 
he had worked with John Mayall, I think, and then he had, of course, with the Yardbirds, which is another British blues-oriented group. So, I mean, Clapton was was getting well known around the same time with different groups, not with not with these guys. Yeah. Well, and so so he he decides the Grand Bond. He so my kind of my my gist of the situation is like he's in the Grand Bond organization. He uh, he knows of Clapton. But he's like, I want to just form my own band because I have more artistic control. Because mm-hmm. um, I'm doing a lot of the management anyway, uh, and and so he, he formed. So, he, so he's he's got Clapton. Then Clapton's like, Hey, let's bring in Bruce. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, which I think is another may, might be another question of just like like uh, digging in on a little bit of that. But let's talk about just Clapton. Like he mm-hmm. so he runs into Clapton. He what what is what is it that he mentions that you know he likes time. And he just thinks he's a great musician as part of he wants to work with, but he doesn't have the antig. I like like he see, like Clapton and him seem to get along and they play oh, yeah. well together. Yeah. So what is it about Clapton that allows him to like Clapton? Obviously has uh, a strong personality. Mm-hmm. He's a strong artist. Yeah, and he's not and he's not in fights with with. Uh, with Ginger Baker, mm-hmm. um, what was, what is different? What is that thing that's because we were just talking about like how the maybe the the anti- antagonism with Bruce just let that section, you know, mm-hmm. fueled part of this creative art. Maybe with Clapton, what's the opposite side of this? What what is it about Clapton that you actually got together with? Like like, mm-hmm. um, is it is it because like I think it was a story you're talking about like like Clapton says. Like I, I can only get so close to him, right? And then I yeah. had to back off. Yeah, um, yeah. Like I, I mean, he knew there was a lot of problems in there. He said, "I, you know, I just it's not gonna be good for me." I, right. I can't. I, I, I gotta worry. I got my own problems. In right. Sense. I, I just stay sober, and yeah, if I get too I, close to him, I can't do that. I, yeah, yeah. Um, which is almost. I didn't take that as him not being a good friend. It was almost this kind of self reflection on. Right. Yeah. I wish I could have been a better friend, but for my mm-hmm. own self-preservation, I couldn't be as good a friend as like maybe I had yeah. wanted to be. I yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I think I think Clapton, all things being equal, would have would have wanted to be a better friend, but he just he saw he got you know enough of a view that he said you know I, this is not going to be good for me long term to get involved in this. I'm just you know, and that was kind of do it. <laughs> And and what I think was missing the documentary is really what what is it about Clapton that Ginger actually likes? Mm-hmm. Like he he certainly respects him as a musician. Yeah. Um. And and Clapton was was there for him, but what but what is it about Clapton that allows him to get along with in a work relationship and apparently mm-hmm. in a personal relationship, you know, like, like they can be personal friends mm-hmm. where Jack Bruce was just like, like, you know, there are, and a lot of people can't get along with Ginger Baker, but right. Clapton yeah. seems to have this ability. Clapton could, could. Yeah. And it was it just because he had deep respect for Clapton. And mm-hmm. for some reason, Baker just didn't have that respect for Bruce, well, even though Bruce is really good. Well, you know, may, maybe it's because Clapton drew that line. And said, you know, we're gonna get along, we're gonna work together fine, but you know what? That that's it. That's all we're gonna have. You know, I'm not gonna yeah. be, you know, coming to your house all the time. I'm not gonna, you know, whatever. Um, you got these crazy adventures. I'm not gonna do them. But you know, we're gonna work together. We're gonna get along great. And when work's over, we're gonna go different places. 
You know, so, maybe, maybe that's why it worked. So he, well. he set boundaries that, yeah. that he stuck to and that, that allowed the relationship to go on. Wow, that mm-hmm. might be a... That might be it. That might be a relationship. Yeah, I think Booz Allen, would, Booz Allen would like that. Yeah, <laughs> like they that would be. Too. Like, like set, a good set healthy answer. boundaries yeah, and you'll pretty, have pretty a good relationship. Actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah so, so your argument, so the, the question, so that would be my question to Baker. Mm-hmm. Or, and it, that'd be, you know, what was it about Clapton that allowed you to have, like, why is he your best friend? It was kind of a hard question to ask. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think really just what was, what is it different? Why is Clapton different than working with Bruce, you know, like, like one guy you're pulling knives on, the other guy, <laughs> right. you're like, yeah, he's my best friend. Yeah. And they're, yeah. you, at some level, you had to respect both these guys because they're in the band that he, oh, wow. he's like, I, you know, yeah, he's talking and, to Clapton. And really, when you make a list of great guitar, great rock guitarists, you know, Clapton's near the top or at the top. When yeah. you make a list of great bass, great rock bassists, Jack Bruce is near the top or at the top. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, yeah, that's, there's that, but, but yeah, completely different. You know, personality, you know, personal relationships. Yeah. And it could just be small things that just drove each other nuts, I suppose. But mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was my question. I think that's the mm-hmm. question. And that goes over to question six. Well, I, there's one more one more thought on, on, that, uh, on, on, on your question here. Um, mm-hmm. When Cream only, really only was a group for two years, basically. Yep. You know, a uh, little, you know, two and a fraction. Uh, and it basically split when Clapton... Uh, ran across, uh, the, in a sense, Clapton was the rising star when Cream started. And then there was another rising star a couple of years later, Steve Winwood, <laughs> little Stevie Winwood, they, or Stevie yeah. Winwood, they called him at that time, um, who Clapton had noticed from, I believe, the Spencer Davis group, uh, Winwood had been in, um, and said, hey, I'd like to form another group where with, with him. And he said, I can, you know, like Jack Bruce, they got along with Jack Bruce just fine, but he figured it'd be those three and maybe they'd find a drummer. Uh, well, he met with Steve Winwood one day at his house and uh, Ginger Baker showed up. Said, all right, hey, we're we going to practice? So it's like, all right. So that that was blind faith. That became blind right. faith there. Um, and actually he didn't, I, I take that back, he took Rick Gretsch as a bassist with blind faith. He did not take Jack Bruce. Maybe because he thought if he took Bruce, he would get Ginger Baker. But he got Ginger Baker anyway, so uh, that became Blind Faith, which outstanding group, one album group, but oh boy, what a great album. So, but anyway, that's not my question. Uh, <laughs> yeah, my question, again, you know, we're talking a lot about the Ginger Baker's personality, which is, it's, you know, it's not, it's not his music, but it's hard to ignore. Uh, and so I got another one on personality, and maybe, maybe in discussing this question, we can kind of explain some of it. Um, you look at rock drummers, or really drummers, well, any drummers, and drummers tend to fall, um, you know, there's, there's, a, there's sort of a stigmatism, uh, st- or whatever, there's a, uh, a stereotype, I guess I would say, that um, drummers are kind of wild men, you know, and that's not always true, but I think drummers do kind of fall, you, you look and you can f- see kind of two different categories of drummers. There are kind of the nice guy drummers, and then there are the wild man drummers who are wild either just wild stylistically or they have wild lifestyles or, or they're just, you know, nasty people, whatever. Um, you know, and, and I made a very small, very partial list here, but uh, some of the nice guy drummers, um, Dave Grohl, Nirvana, and, you know, Foo, later Foo Fighters, uh, Charlie Watts, I'd say, is one of the nice guy drummers. Or Ringo Starr, probably. 
I mean, he's a little wild, maybe, but he's he's probably one of the nice guy drummers. Uh, Max Roach, his hero. Uh, Ginger Baker's hero. Probably one of the nice guy drummers as well. And I would say Stuart Copeland from the police. Now, Sting might disagree, but I would call Stuart Copeland probably one of the nice guy drummers. You know, they're skilled. They're all, all those guys are great, but they're, you know, they're, they're kind of more friendly. I don't know. They're more normal. Now, there are, of course, a lot of wild man drummers. Uh, Ginger Baker is prominent among that group. Keith Moon. We did right, a show Keith on Keith Moon. Moon, you know, not too long ago, and you know, uh, Keith Moon was a little Moon friendlier, Moon. <laughs> a little friendlier maybe than Ginger Baker, but a wild man nonetheless. Uh, John Bonham, uh, you know, Led Zeppelin, no, no arguing there. Uh, Gene Krupa, certainly. Uh, Travis Barker of uh, Blink One Eighty Two. It was, I, in fact, I saw them in concert last year, and he's uh, he's still a wild man in fact. So uh, Neil Peart from Rush. Another wild man drummer, uh, Alex Van Halen, and Buddy Rich, who was an early influence, or at least was a stylistic influence to some extent on Ginger Baker, um, who, maybe not a wild man, like, stylistically or in life, but just not a very pleasant guy from all accounts. So, I, I guess the question in there is what, you know, what leads to that, to that stereotype that drummers are... are you know, unpleasant, they're unruly, they're, and I, I don't know, I think we, it's up for discussion, but I, I read an article that might have an answer, and it kind of relates to something that Ginger Baker said in the documentary. Uh, he was, he was talking about that he always had it, uh, you know, and, and the interviewer said, had what? And Ginger Baker, it was like, that's a stupid, you know, how stupid are you? He said, time. Yeah. You know, just like, you know, come on, you didn't know that's what I meant? And no, nobody knew. <laughs> nobody knew what he meant, but that is what he meant. Right. But he always had this internal time that he would keep with the drums. And I think this article that I read and it kind of made sense. He said that people, some drummers have a great internal sense of time, and some have less. You know, some are just skilled. They they develop one, but some some they have a really strong natural sense of time. You know, when they're playing, oh, they're it, it's on. They're it. When they're not playing, they're out in the world, and the world doesn't have the sense of the world's out of sync, yeah. you know. So they can't handle that as well, you know, because things don't move on their time. You know, it's not it's there. There's a different uh, internal rhythm <laughs> to the world than is in your head. So maybe that explains it. I, I don't know. What do you? What do you I mean, uh, actually, Chris, you're a drummer. What do you think? I mean, you're maybe one of the nice guy drummers, too, <laughs> nice I would say, you know, but what, what do you think? Well, you haven't dated me. Well, I mean, no, I know. That's true. I <laughs> um, might get an argument on that. Get an argument with that. You might get an argument with some people. Uh, the, well, on that note, like, you talked about Nirvana, and I mm-hmm. think on, on time, and I, I remember there's a, this was from, there's a, there's a Netflix it's on Netflix. There's a documentary called Sound City, and it's about mm-hmm. it's a documentary about a sound studio in uh, L.A. Mm-hmm. And we're you know, Fleetwood Mac recorded out of there, and just a lot of different people. It made, the drums just sound amazing out of Sound City. And Dave Grohl is uh, in there playing with Nirvana, and mm-hmm. the, they talk about how he's in there. It, Nirvana, I think, ends up saving like like it, it's they had some trouble in the '80s because the you know, drum machines are coming out and people aren't aren't using the studio as much. Yeah. They were going all digital. Mm-hmm. Nirvana comes into play and they talk about how, um, I think it's, it was, uh, um, I'm trying to remember, um, teen, teen spirit. Uh, they're 
they're playing a song and mm-hmm. it keeps going faster. Like they're in the studio and oh, it's yeah. just like the timing is going faster and faster. Mm-hmm. And so they, the uh, producer said, uh, ask, ask them to, uh, Hey, how about, how about wearing a, uh, you know, basically put a metrodome, put a, put a timing track and listen to a timing track as you're playing. And as a drummer, it was interesting. Um, he was like, man, I just, that producer was such, you know, I just want to kill him right then as being a drummer because, mm-hmm. um, the drummer's all about timing, like you said, you know, and yeah. now someone's telling me I don't have timing. Right. And, right. and, and so just kind of that reaction, I mean, it ends up in kind of the end of the way that story ends is Nirvana's like they, they one or two takes, bam, that song is, is recorded because mm-hmm. all of a sudden the song's not speeding up anymore. And it was interesting listening and his, they said, you know, we took this back. We listened to the tape in the apartment afterwards. And it's, and to me, it sounded like it was slowing down. And so this idea of having a natural timing where your, your, your clock is the universe clock mm-hmm. and, and having that, does that just make you get, like, if you believe that and like Ginger Baker, certainly from all the stuff you read and in, in his interviews, he believes like it's divine intervention. He mm-hmm. believes right. he has oh, yeah. a internal clock that was divine given it's to given him. to him, him. And, and he should set the clock. I mean, that's the, you know, yes. Yeah. And so does that make you like King Henry, you know, like, like, okay, if you're mm-hmm. King, because God told you you're King versus you will, you know, you're, you're actually just there to serve the people. And it was luck. Mm-hmm. Right? right. How does that yeah, change you've been your born into the right family? Yeah. And, you know, you're, like you're born you're in the U S you're very you're lucky right. versus it's divine yeah. intervention. Like if you start mm-hmm. believing like it's like, like the hand of of the of the divine has appointed you. Wow, you know what a ego trip that would give you, mm-hmm. and potentially like if you don't check that somehow, if you don't have somebody to check that, then yes, I think you would alter. Like you, you become you become an a hole. Um, you know what I mean? Like 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 how how does that not be, how do you not become an a hole? Because like like yeah, the whole band relies on me, yeah. and it's because God appointed mm-hmm. me to keep time for you. Yeah, and that and usually statements like that are exactly the moment bands break up. <laughs> you know, you look historically, uh, other than the Yoko Ono incident, that's usually what has broke has broken bands up is someone gets that. You know, you guys need me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, complex we, and oh yeah no we don't <laughs> yeah no I mean, if, and so if a drummer's feeling like like or if you feel like i don't yeah yeah it, and um you know what are they gonna do without me type of thing so i think that would be kind of like like on that uh, yeah i think ginger baker maybe the question there is is if uh if you're bad like like uh i mean he, he kind of talks that he wants that he believes it's divine intervention i would just like to dig into that a little bit more and it's mm-hmm. like kind of said this um i mean do you, you you don't think you can learn timing like really yeah well yeah and and i mean some of these drummers that are i i guess i'd have to say probably more on the nice guy side uh really did learn drumming i mean they weren't maybe natural drummers they picked it up they studied it and okay they became drummers you know yeah it's like nature versus nurture so i you know you can some people can throw a baseball very young and, and know how to do it. Other people have to train up to do it. And mm-hmm. so do you end up with the kind of same kind of thing where if you, if you had it, if you took to it early versus having to work for it, does that just change your personality? Mm-hmm. Um, and where's, 
So the, the, well, and, and you know the whole um, his thinking that this was a divine gift. Uh, it's there's really not. I never saw anything that indicated he was had any particular religious belief of any sort. That so, might be the question. So like, all right, do you know. If you yes. have, I mean, if you're not doing this to some, because you, you could have the belief, okay, well, we're all, you know, ordained to do something. Right. Um, but I, I never got the impression that he really had that sort of belief uh, that maybe he was picked. And again, this is kind of what breaks bands up <laughs> when, when somebody gets that view. It's like, you know, you know I, I don't necessarily even have a faith, but I, I was picked by, by God to lead you. It's like, yeah, you know, no, no, you weren't. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Wait a second. You know, this is a problem. <laughs> well, I mean, on that kind of note, it's like, like the, the, I think it was uh, somebody else was like, when the Holy Spirit shows up and like you mm-hmm. have a live audience, and then the Holy, and then when the result oh, yeah. is something res- yeah. is a result of the Holy Spirit showing up. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what what is maybe that's the question is like like Ginger explained it would be just kind of interested in what his mm-hmm. what is his. Uh, life philosophy or what what does he believe the supernatural is like if you're pointed like king henry had a conversation with himself right on on like how he got to like be divine intervention and now i can kill all my wives um so so ginger kind of like in that role what is his what was his like thought process in his relationship with um like if he believes that drummers are like he's naturally appointed timing what is his Right. Well, and the implication is that that you know he was picked, and that these other guys weren't were not you know naturally ordained to do anything. Yeah. Right. Other than to listen to him. And, <laughs> you know. Right. And it's one thing if you know if you have a belief that okay, I was given this gift of time, and you were given this gift of um, something other, uh, something else, uh, writing lyrics, and you were given you know whatever. But no, I don't get the impression that that was that he broadened it beyond. You know, the narrow scope of I was picked. Right, right. I was picked. Yeah, it was, you know, just, it would be fun just to go on a tangent with him, like, just kind of talk about this Holy Spirit, like, like, like kind of talk us to your worldview on, mm-hmm. on, on God and, and how does he pick drummers. Mm-hmm. Um, well, he's probably brought up C of E like so many others in England, so, you know, yeah. probably had some of that in the background, but I'm not, I, again, I saw no, Reason right. to think that he really that he followed it. He didn't follow it, but yet <laughs> he's know. appointed. So, like, right. like yeah. how do you resolve that that disconnect? I guess is kind of right. or would be my question. Yeah, and like, oh, resolve this mm-hmm. for me. Like, how do you go from not believing yet this this entity has appointed you as right. as somebody that I'm not even really sure I believe in picked me? Right. <laughs> it's like, right. wait a second. And I, this is why I don't I, like I, these other people. I'm a little it's lost. Like, Help resolve this because right. that seems like yeah. yeah. So maybe maybe in his mind he has a way to resolve that, and that'd mm-hmm. be that'd be kind of the question. Yeah, good. Are we on? I think it was question six. Ron, I think so. I think it was already I you. Think so I think are, that was my question. But yeah, that, we are zipping along. We are. My gosh. Zip zip. Can you can you zip, feel zip. the the wind the breeze as we are zipping along? So is, is this mine now? Is this? It is. It is. Okay. Um, well, all right. Speaking of. Um, Speaking of, we, we had touched on his move to Africa, uh, which he did much, you know, much later, did that, uh, I want to say, in well, started in the late 70s. <clears throat> so it was after, uh, after Blind Faith, after Ginger Baker's Air Force, um, he, I guess, had always been interested in African music and um, actually went to Africa. Uh, so 
you know, he's there, and it, it's a very, I mean, he played some very interesting music and went, and did fairly well there, uh, created some, some nice albums from there. But, uh, you know, his, his, I, I can't help but wonder, particularly in looking at the, uh, at the uh, documentary, did, was there a time where, you know, when he was there, because uh, it's just a completely different set of circumstances from, you know, what, he had, what he'd been used to, a uh, completely different uh, culture, completely different uh, political situation, um, much less, I mean, he was, you know, a huge celebrity in England. He was not really a huge celebrity there. Uh, you know, was there, was there a time, and, and he, he eventually economically did pretty well down there, but there was a time where he wasn't doing that well economically down there either. When he was on the whole Africa thing, did he, was there ever a moment where he said, what have I done? You know, why, 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 how, why am I here? What, what is this? Why am I doing this? You know. Well, I think it. it I mean, some of it seemed to be like, like I think that's a good question. It's like, mm-hmm. like, question is, I think when he was getting shot at and running from his studio. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, no, there was like a revolution going on. Yeah. yeah this was like, like he leaves, times, you know? but he seems to repeat that pattern, and so he's like, yeah, he he, he has such a strong artistic vision. It's like he was talking to both the he, he was. You know, rocking with the um, the counterculture, and he mm-hmm. was playing polo with the culture, and he didn't see a problem with yeah, it because exactly. in his mind it seemed like I'm here for art. I don't care about the politics. And yeah, and, and think Vita, about it, he's, Vita Kuti was like, dude, you got to care about the politics. Well, yeah, and he's. I mean, think about it. He's you know he's in a, you know an apartheid country, and he's playing at the polo club, and he wonders why when he goes back to the jazz club, people are thinking, what are you know what are you doing? What's Who are up? You? Yeah. Uh, and people at the polo club probably thought, who are you too, for that matter? But, you know, yeah, very different. And he just thought, well, no, I, I maybe again, he thought he was divinely well, ordained to do both. This wasn't in South Africa. This was Nigeria. Oh, he's right? in Nigeria. Nigeria. He goes to South Africa. He's South Africa later. So this wasn't an apartheid, but right. it was, it was still, it was I mean, colonial. Nigeria was a, post-colonial at that point. Colonial trappings. You know, not... Not many years post-colonial, probably a decade, uh, 15 years or so post-colonial at that time. So there was still a lot of memory. Of, yeah, so of so what, years, you know. he seemed to love it there. It was, and it's like, it, it's like it drove his hunger for, for playing music. Like not having, like kind of, it seems like he has this pattern of acquiring and doing really well, gets a lot of money, and then going back to um, not having much. And having to rebuild it, and mm-hmm. was it that rebuild part that that drives him? Which I think goes to your question: is like, yeah, does he ultimately just like the feeling of like, why am I here? Because that drives his artistic, that drives his his vision. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a visitor. <laughs> okay. Oh yeah, yeah. Let's make the make the cat a YouTube star. Yes. There we go. And so, uh, not that we are YouTube stars, <laughs> but you know, no. The but yeah. So the, the did did he think that or was he I, I i think you could ask him they do that in another way maybe to ask the question was that part of what drove you as an artist like you needed the hunger to mm-hmm. to do your art and so did you like like his third wife was what saying that um i couldn't i like, i went through a couple of these like four times right. brought me yeah. through this and then the last one i was like yeah 
I'm not interested yeah, in this. Yeah, I'm not making this trip anymore. It's like, bye. See, right. You know, and so like this. That's it. We're done. And, and your question is, is like, does he see that ever? Does he ever see the, yeah. like, hey, mm-hmm. you know, why am I here? Why are people shooting mm-hmm. at me? And it's, right. it doesn't seem like yeah. it clicks. Like it's just like he is just so focused on the art. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and and it's it's kind of relates to in some ways is similar to the question we had on uh, his relationship with Jack Bruce that you know is it that you know that adversity does he need that adversity in his life constantly yeah. Yeah, constant adversity which I could explain why a lot of people found him hard to be around yeah you know people like that generally are thought to be hard to be around but did he need that constant adversity to um, just did he feel like that was normal and did he need that to create the music. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe he did. And, and so, like, as he's... Well, you can ask this even as time in Cream. Mm-hmm. Um, did you need to break up Cream? As you're breaking up Cream, you're going on to find your next venture. Uh, did did that ever click with you that, uh, you know, why am I doing this? And, I mean, at the face of it, it seemed like he was like, no, I, I wanted to do something else. I wanted to mm-hmm. you know, kind of start from scratch again yeah. and, and redo it. Where other bands like we we had talked about the cars, mm-hmm. um, you know they were happy to for a long time. Rico Cask, you know, they were yeah they stuck around for a long time. And, oh yeah, uh, and and you look at I mean with a few exceptions I mean he did produce some albums that were wildly different from the cars, but he, he basically took you could trace Rico Kasich or Rico Kasich's sound yeah. through um, even his post cars work. Yeah, um, yeah with Weezer producing the Weezer albums. You listen to Weezer, it's like Weezer. Weezer's a 90s cars, really, if you think about it, you know? Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of cars sound in, in those, uh, the green and the blue album from Weezer. But uh, but yeah, Ginger Baker, very, very different sounds. Um, even Ginger Baker's Air Force, right after Blind Faith, still a, a very different. He's kind of moving more toward, you know, it had some of the elements, but he's kind of moving more toward uh, a jazz orientation at that point. And certainly with the African music, it's completely Completely different from Cream. Well, and let's go back. Like, if, I know you, we were talking about like, okay, why is he in Africa? And so the question is, is why are you, why are you in Africa? And and did you yeah, think did to you yourself ever, ever? Did you ever um, think, yeah, what, what am I doing? What am I doing? What, what, what's up with this? <laughs> and we, we have right behind us, like before, mm-hmm. like he's in Africa. He, he talks, there's that moment he's talking to Phil Seaman. I guess he, he, mm-hmm. like Phil Seaman's shooting up on heroin and Phil, he drops the right. needle. That's when he met Phil Seaman. Phil Seaman. And so here, come come with me and, you know, shoots up, right? Yeah, and they drop the needle on some African drums. And that really inspires, not only inspiring Phil Seaman, it inspires Ginger Baker. Mm-hmm. And they, uh, and coming up, he really likes that sound. That, and that's what he brings, brings forward. Um, and so the... The first, the first, Cream's first album is Fresh Cream. Mm-hmm. And the album we have behind us is their second album. It's, it's the, uh, the Israeli Gear. The Israeli Gears, yeah. And it's a very psychedelic. One of the great titles, I think, of all, of all <laughs> rock albums. Yeah. yeah, you were talking about it a little bit. It's, like, so the title is off a British Prime Minister? Yeah, there was a British Prime Minister, uh, Benjamin Disraeli, in the 1800s. And, um, um, why Disraeli gears? I don't know. Maybe that was, a, you know, it might be something simple like that was the name of a company that made, you know, engine gears. 
<laughs> and it was run by a relative of uh, Benjamin Disraeli. It was, it was Disraeli Gears. Was, I, I did not and they get, actually saw a yeah. wheel that said Disraeli Gears. Like, hey, that's pretty that's a good rabbit hole for us to get, get, get to out. Why, why or maybe they just two random words. Yeah. So he said, give me a word, Disraeli. Give me a word, Gears. All right, just put them together. Disraeli Gears. There we go. Well, Don't know. Well, the, this cover is very psychedelic and... The fresh cream, you know, fresh cream has a lot of the um, has a great sound too. I mean, all mm -hmm. these albums yeah. oh, featuring yeah. Ginger yeah. Baker, and he's bringing that African sound that he that he heard in Phil Simmons' office out in the music more. We kind of heard it a little bit on that Graham Bond organization solo um, mm -hmm. that that we just played or played a few minutes ago. And so on this album, um, I think one of my questions on the has to do with the idea of psych music. And, and so the, the people talk about psych music you have at this time frame, they, a lot of times psych music, they talk about, if you talk about Jimi Hendrix, uh, and what he's doing with the guitar, you have distortion, you have time distortion, changing up beats, um, trying to, uh, the idea that you're trying to create, recreate some sort of LSD effect, like the feeling that you get when you drop acid, your, um, you make music that gives you that feeling and that's in some ways what they're but you get the psych genre, right? And so on this album, I mean, there's certainly time switches. Uh, but was my question would be as Ginger's playing, and I mean, he's dropping acid during this time frame. Um, but is he trying to go? Is is he trying to do that? Like it, it seemed like it, it seemed more that he was going for this African sound beat, and less mm -hmm. trying to go for um, like what Hendrix. Like, like in Purple Haze, mm -hmm. he's going for a very specific, he's going for a psych sound, if you will. He's going for, yeah. hey, this is going to, this is, this is kind of what dropping acid makes me feel like. As I listen to just um, this album, like there's not a song on here. I'm like, oh, that's, I mean, all the, I love all the songs. You got, I mean, aside one, you got Strange yeah. Brew, mm -hmm. Sunshine of Your Love. All great songs. There's timing switches going on. It highlights yeah. the drums amazingly. Uh, I don't, but I don't find that. Hey, this thing is like, um, like is this a not, is nothing like, like purple consciously haze, psychedelic? Like, yeah. Consciously psychedelic. Yeah. I love the music. Yeah. I love the cover. This cover no, is amazing. Great. But I, I, I would agree with that. I think it's not. A, and you know there were some very consciously psychedelic groups at that time. Jimmy, Jimmy Hendrix Experience, uh, Big Brother and the Holding Company, and you know Electric Prunes. I mean, there were there were quite a few. Right. Um, not including Cream, I would say. Uh, was there music? Maybe it bordered on that occasionally, uh, but I think they were much more interested in um, the. If you want to think of it as, as African, but it, it, it probably is, is rooted in African music. But you think of it maybe more in terms of jazz is the uh, the time changes. With um, they were one of the few groups at that time that was doing this. Uh, that would because most groups it was you know four four and you had uh, the old cliche you know three chords and the truth whatever and, and they were all four four time and you know every song sounded the same. Well, these didn't sound the same. No, these were these sounded right. different, and you know they they would do, they would change the time signature, and, and a lot of that was of course driven by the drums, driven by Ginger Baker. Um, so yeah, no, I think they were much more interested in that and exploring that within the context of rock than they were thinking, oh, let's create some psychedelic stuff. 
because uh, I, you know, well, two reasons. I think that was more musically interesting to them, and number two, they were already uh, Ginger and you know a lot of the others were already uh, pretty substance abused, and I don't think they needed to feel any. <laughs> They were they were already out there, so right. I mean, they're know, dropping. I don't think they need it anymore. You know, it's like Ginger says. You know, like heroin gave him the confidence to to play almost like like because mm-hmm. I I wasn't afraid to get out there and just and and play this African sound. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know too, I mean, one this kind of question kind of reminds me of something that um, Ginger Baker said in the interview, and then something you know we talked we were talking a little bit about earlier that. Um, he was, he really felt slighted because uh, he had created a lot of these signature sounds for Cream. And he said that he made less money off of Cream than either of the other two. Uh, right. And they, they kind of explain that because, like, if I guess the way the, the system's set mm-hmm. up is if you're, um, if you, if you write the song or if you're vocals, right. you get one set of royalties. If you, yeah. mm-hmm. um, but the, well, if you're, yeah, you get songwriting. So he, Apparently wasn't given songwriting royalties, even though he really created the, he really did write some of the music, or at least created, changed some of the music. Should be maybe accredited, you know, composer yeah. on some of on a lot of these songs, you know, where he create where he added the, a different time signature to the opening or to the chorus part. Um, he gets accompaniment credit, which I guess doesn't give you royalties. Right. Right. Is yeah. Well, he. I mean, he did. He made money. You know, being performing and being right. part of Cream, but he didn't get the songwriting credit, right? Because that that went to Jack Bruce or went to you know whoever went to Clapton. I think was yeah. wrote a lot of the songs as well. So he, um, you know, he, he I, I think there was that. I think he did create a lot of this sound that maybe wasn't credited for. And I think another thing that he uh, was not is not credited for. I personally think he created in rock at least uh, the drum solo. Uh, there were drum solos in jazz that obviously long before his time, Gene Krupa, you know, yeah, like that. Well, but as far as rock, most people trace that back to Iron Butterfly in Agata De Vida. No, it actually goes back to Ginger G- Baker. Yeah, Ginger Baker. <laughs> before we get this, before in Agata De Vida, so, so, so it's Ginger Baker. I think that leads into another question. I think so. I, I guess my question like ends off being just, you know, what what was sort of your psych attitude? as you're making this album, I love the cover. The cover is mm-hmm. amazing. Um, yeah. there's definitely time switches. I like the, the music is super groovy. Um, there's like, we were talking about this album. There's not really a bad song. There's not a bad song on this album. No. Um, and there's not a bad cream album. Yeah. I mean, I, I defy anyone to hold up a cream album and say, this album's lousy. No, they're all, they're all really good. Really good. I like, these, I like <laughs> the first two, the best, mm-hmm. um, fresh cream. And, and yeah, this one in, in the, yeah, uh, give Wheels of Fire. Wheels of Fire. Wheel of Fire is pretty good. Pretty yeah. good. White Room. White Room. That's true. I get it. I get badge. I, get I think it's on that one. It's, you know, give it another listen. So Wheels of Fire. Good. So those three. <laughs> the first three. Yeah, first, were, well, there were only four. Right? Four. They yeah. did a live goodbye album. So okay. that was it. <laughs> um. So yeah, just as they're making this album, it definitely has a super psych kind of cover. The question for me is like, what was your what you what, going and making it just end up being a cool c- cover that matched the times and that's how mm-hmm. they came up with um or were you going for a psych sound i f- from the from what background i could find he was really like from a drumming perspective he was going for a more of a, a african he was just pushing his african mm-hmm. beat that he had in his head that he wanted yeah. to 
wanted to get out. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think I think the cover was more, hey, this will sell. I think the you know, Polydor Records came up with something that would look psychedelic in, in the store and, and would attract the audience, which obviously it worked because we're walking through this record store and, you know, oh, I got to yeah. hear that. Great backdrop. That looks like a cool, you know, I like the song on the radio, Sunshine of Your Love, and I saw this album and was like, wow, that looks cool. So it worked, right? I mean, yes. Polydor, they knew what they were doing. It right? did work. <laughs> it absolutely okay, worked. Right? They and they figured it out. Yeah, and well, I guess the big, you know, part of the question would be is like, how much did you get into making the covers? Like when you talk to yeah, the, probably like the doors, um, the doors were very heavily involved in making <laughs> yeah. their own covers. Mm-hmm. There, were, yeah. there was this just more of the like how involved did they ginger get into making making covers? Yeah, but the drum solo question. I mean, so I think that's my mm-hmm. question seven, which would lead into question eight, which is yours. Oh, okay. um, I don't know if you want to talk about the drum solo. That's kind of what we were getting into a I little would, bit about that. Yeah, I mean the the drum solo uh, that he does his he does a, a drum solo on uh, Fresh Cream. Yeah, Toad is the name of the song. I was spacing out the name, but I did. I called it back just in time. Um, and that I really think if, if, and I'm you know I'm only an amateur rock historian, but I think that is the first rock drum solo ever. And actually, if you hear the one that he did with the um, with uh, the Grand Bond organization, that had a drum solo. Right. That was even before that was even before Fresh Cream. So maybe well, that was the first one. But certainly, I think we can trace it back to Ginger Baker somewhere. Yeah, um, and it became a thing for a period of time, and then it, and then it didn't. You know, kind of went out of rock after, after a time. But uh, in the '60s, it was a, it was quite a thing. To do at least a, some some sort of drum solo, they weren't all quite as long as the Inagata Devito one, but uh, you know some sort of solo. And it's not. And his drum solo was it. It was almost uh, not to. I mean, this might sound cliche or or you know tautological, but it was his drum solo was musical. Yeah. I mean, if you heard that one that we played here, it, there were notes in the drum solo. It's not. It wasn't just like percussion. Uh, a lot of the drum solos were just like, you know, okay, you bass drum, and yeah, you do the hi-hat, and okay. Yeah, well, he's got, yeah, he's hitting no, a lot of he, different drums. It was musical. Tri- it, there, were different, there were notes. I yeah, mean, it was in, like, man, this is this is something. This is good, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I'm going to follow I, yeah. up, I think. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, does Ginger Baker, like, as he was doing it, did he really, it seemed like he was, like, used to jazz where you mm-hmm. did have, he took turns doing solos, and he brings us into yeah. um, kind of rock. So, what's the what's the drum solo question? Oh well, that I, I didn't really have a drum solo question. I just kind of want to throw that out, unless maybe that could count as one of my questions. The drum, well, I, I mean, maybe I take here. Here's kind of where I would take, and then we can throw it back to you. like mm-hmm. like on the drum solo. Mm-hmm. Um, that ends up like some people say that he's the father of of if you will of of heavy metal and mm-hmm. kind of it's because it's drum solo and you end up with like some of the heavy metal guys I think if you crazy long drum solos if you, if, if you did a geneal- did a genealogical tree a family tree of uh, heavy metal drumming uh, you would find Ginger Baker at the top yeah I, I would yeah. agree with that I so, mean they're different yeah, but, but he has a re- but they they started back with him oh yeah yeah, yeah. And so, well, so, they, they, yeah. so somebody says this to him it's like you're the father of heavy metal and he's like I should, we should have aborted it <laughs> right. And right, he's like, because he he seems like he's not really enthused with heavy metal drummers. Mm-hmm. And so my question would be, 
All right, the new Tool album came out, and I mm-hmm. love the drumming on that album. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just it's a it's there's some solid. I mean, I, it, like you said, it's 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 not. They they have it mic'd up so you can really hear the notes of the drums playing. So you can you can hear the, um, I mean you can hear the the warmth of the tom toms and the cymbals mm-hmm. all all, all yeah. mic'd up. Um, like would he like Tool? I mean, it was kind of my question. It's a simple mm-hmm. question, but it, like like he, he seemed to like disparage every heavy metal drummer. I'm gonna put Tool into heavy metal. I you know you could put it in a different group, I guess. Uh, um, but but would he? Are there modern day drummers, and I'll point to Tool, that he would be like, yeah, these guys are are doing something that's respectable and 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 is good, mm-hmm. you know, like from a drumming yeah. perspective. Um, that would be my question from the drum solo because they made the comment of we should have aborted heavy metal, but I mean, there's some good drummers out there that are playing some amazing music. Mm-hmm. Um, would he would he give some credit out to out to uh, a band like Tool. Well, and and I would I would even go a step further. I would say not only is he the father of uh, heavy metal drumming, but um, he is at least uh, one of the ancestors of uh, of punk rock drumming yeah. as well. Because uh, in heavy metal, I, I I think is a lot clearer. That's maybe a direct line. He's maybe an uncle of punk drumming, if you will. But uh, you know, I'm thinking and you know, depending heavy. The definition of heavy metal has changed over the years. My daughter uh, keeps reminding me how much has changed. Because heavy metal, when I was a kid, was uh, was um, uh, like Black Sabbath and um, oh god. Don't fear the reaper. I mean, that was considered heavy metal back then. Yeah, you're talking about crew. Like we're, we're yeah, now, we, it's it's a whole different definition. But if, but, if you, but if you look at heavy metal in like the early '70s, uh, thinking you know Black Sabbath, yeah. uh, I I challenge you listen to Iron Man and tell me if you can't hear guys, Ginger right. Baker in the background there. <laughs> He's not playing on that. Obviously, that's Black Sabbath playing, but. If you can't hear the Ginger Baker influence in there, listen again. Uh, turn turn the treble down. <laughs> you'll you'll hear it. Uh, I was just showing you right heap. I I think you're right heaps. You're right heap. Yeah. Song, oh yeah. Another one. Uh, heavy band. I, mm-hmm. I like the drumming on that. They had a couple different drummers, but the original drummer I thought. Yeah. Uh, I really like on that too. So that's kind and, of my. Yeah. And I I would hear I would say you know with with punk drumming you get less of the the time changes with punk drumming than you got with with uh, Ginger Baker, but some of the some of the surprises. I'm, I'm thinking in terms of Green Day, for example. Uh, Ginger Baker was great with like changing the drumming style. He'd be very soft, and then boom, in. Well, I mean that that's Trey Cool's whole life. It, he, that's what he does. <laughs> that's that's his move with Green Day. Uh, subtle or no drumming, and then suddenly in very hard. You know, I he learned that somewhere, and I I think I know Ginger where. Baker's there. I think I think it's where he learned it. Yeah. <laughs> came from Ginger Baker. Yeah. So I'll take that. That means I got a question. Um, whatever that was question. Amy, is that there was question nine back over to you? Oh, okay, yeah. Um, and we're talking about jazz a little bit, and um, you know, again, I think Ginger Baker probably wanted to play more jazz. Eventually, did play more jazz. In fact, he was in a group, uh, the Ginger Baker Trio, which uh, sounds. That sounds like a jazz group, right? And it basically yeah. was was primarily a jazz group. Uh, he was in there with really one of the great jazz bassists of all time, Charlie Hayden, uh, who I had the pleasure of seeing Charlie Hayden with. Uh, he played with Keith Jarrett. Uh, he played also with Ornette Coleman. He uh, 
just I didn't see him with Ornick Coleman, but I saw Keith Jarrett live one time. I saw Charlie Hayden there. He's been a um, just a stellar jazz bassist. So I guess I would if if I had uh, Ginger and he was awake and you know not in in a relatively good mood, uh, I'd want him to talk about what was it like. I mean, you know, cause he didn't get a chance to work with some of the older jazz guys that he had listened to that were his influence when he was young. You know, they were dead or they were, you know, not just not available or they were drummers and he couldn't be a drummer, you know, he couldn't be a drummer, you know, two drummers. But here you've got really kind of the the next generation of those guys in Charlie Hayden, who was just outstanding. What was that like? You know, talk about working with Charlie Hayden because that's sort of that's sort of like you know the torch being passed. It was you know the jazz torch was passed to Charlie Hayden, and now you're you're sitting in a band with him. What was that like? Um, must have been. I mean, must be good. It was a short-lived band, but that must have been that must have been something. I, so how, do you, how much did he like working with, with Charlie Hayden? Kind of? Yeah, yeah. What was it? What was it like to work with somebody who uh, is really you know it kind of in the line of succession of your you know, your, your mentors. I mean, these are, these are guys that, you know, you were listening to when you were a kid and now, and he's played with some of those, these guys that you were listening to when you were a kid. Uh, he would, he was uh, rhythm section with, um, you know, Art Blakely and he was uh, rhythm section with, I think, I want to say he was rhythm section with Max, Max Roach for a while, maybe, I don't know. I think he was. Um, you know, this is, this is almost like playing with those guys. Right. And I think, <laughs> you know? well, he brings up he, like there's this one statement he makes. He's like, like, "What makes him happy in life?" And he's like, "Max Roach, Art Blakely, Elvin Jones, and Phil Seaman all consider mm-hmm. me friends, and there's nothing better than that." And mm-hmm. that to him was like that. That is the best thing yeah. in the entire world. And so, um, so yeah, I think that's a great question. Just like, what was it like mm-hmm. playing with, with some of these folks? I mean, that that, you, is that like, where you wanted to get? I mean, because you're. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not possible on earth to play with these guys anymore but this is maybe the closest thing yeah <laughs> I mean, you're playing with charlie hayden now who has played with them so maybe that maybe that works that, that's where he he uh yeah i think that's a good question just mm-hmm. i think we're because in the documentary kind of focused on a lot on his quirky personality mm-hmm. but when he was for, for these folks he really admired it didn't really go into depth on on what his relationship was like with them. And it just that he really, no. really liked it. And it would be fun just to see him play with these guys or, mm-hmm. or really rap with them. Like when he's like, you know, what was it like mm-hmm. with him rapping with folks he kind of views as also God appointed um, and, mm-hmm. and doing stuff. Well, in the one in the, in the documentary, it, yeah, it really just mentioned their names and kind of assumed that anyone watching the documentary knew them. And yeah, you know, we did, but I don't know if everybody does. I think it, it probably would have been good if they, they could add 10 minutes to the documentary and go back and play a little bit from these guys. And kind of, and you could, and you can kind of, you could see what he picked up maybe from Max Roach. You could see what he picked up maybe way Art Blakey. Um, you know. Yeah. But, so, so that kind of leads us into, we're on the last question. The last question. There's still so much to talk you about. Were, you, you thought we'd never get there. <laughs> um, and so we talked about, we did talk, we got, on to the question about um, about tool, and I, I liked I like that. It was one a very functional question. Yeah, we, very we, utilitarian. <laughs> very useful. Um, you know? 
Gotta get the right question for the job. So, so, so what should question be? What should the last question be? Scamper is helping me come up with the last question. What should here. the last question be? I know uh, it's like, what's the favorite song on um, Disraeli Gears? I think that might be one that I could just be one to throw out there. I, I mean, ask Steve I, that question. What is your, what, what's your favorite? <laughs> My favorite song. Uh, I would. I favor side two over side one. Nothing wrong with side one. I just like side two a little better. And my favorite song on that album has got to be Tales of Brave Ulysses. I think it's, I, I think it's a stunning achievement and for, for any group at any time. It's just a great song. Cool. Uh, and a lot of drum changes, time signatures, and, and um, you really hear, you know, I just was mentioning how he's not only the father of, of uh, heavy metal drumming, the, heavy of punk, the father of punk drumming as well. Uh, you can hear when he goes from the hi-hat uh, in in the different times that when he goes into the four four, uh, you know if if Trey Cool wasn't listening to that, he he picked it up somewhere. He, it's exactly the same move. <laughs> so yeah, I it's it's just a great song. It is fun. I think um, I like Strange Brew. I think it's just a cool song up <laughs> yeah, front. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's easy number one song that the album. Mm -hmm. I like like it's like you can put Disraeli Gears on, play the mm -hmm. whole album through. Um, if you haven't heard this album, uh, you know, pull it up on your Apple iTunes, get it up on Siri. And then go buy the vinyl and uh, and listen to this thing. Well, it's, uh, well, it's good. Let me tell you just a quick note on, on Strange Brew. I, I got to tell you, that might be my second favorite song on, on the album, too, because I can still remember. I was, I don't know how old I was, but I, but I was, you know, junior high-ish when this came out. And, um, you know, for open the album, you play the first song first, and it's the first song. And the first song was Strange Brew. It's like I suddenly realized... Wow, this is good. Yeah, <laughs> these, yeah, these guys are good. Playing. Hey, I like this. This is cool. <laughs> and the drums, and it's yeah. you know, in retrospect, the reason I like a lot of the a lot of the bands, I'm following Chuck Biscuits. You mentioned punk, and I like Chuck mm -hmm. Biscuits. He plays uh, Social Distortions and mm -hmm. yeah. um, plays a uh, Suicide Tennessees and is on Danzig. Um, mm -hmm. So I like Chuck Biscuits as a drummer. A lot of these bands I like ends up being when you have a really good drummer where the percussion is highlighted and you got a good percussion track. And that's what Tool, yeah. like the new latest album on Tool just does an amazing job of that as well. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, like just having a band with a drummer kind of, with the drummer as the lead or that, that highlights drumming is super cool. And I didn't know about that Cream and it, it took me a while to figure that out about Cream. So mm -hmm. it's, it's been fun digging into Ginger Baker. I think the... Um, maybe this is question B, like like what's our favorite song? I just want to make sure like we we did yeah did, we, you know we kind of did an album review of Disraeli Gears. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, we we talked about like solo. We talked about Tool. I think my last question would be is all right. So you don't like it, it's a follow on to he doesn't like heavy metal. Um, what is is there a solo out there like a non jazz drum solo in modern day rock that he would say? That's some good stuff. Um, that that is what I would like to ask him. Like like what what who's that drummer out there today that is doing some drum solos? Mm -hmm. um, and you call it modern rock and roll. It's not you know it's not necessarily it could be a jazz I guess, but I would say is there some modern rock and roll drummers out there that you would, um, you know, it's kind of a following my last question. I guess, but it was just like drum solo wise. What's your favorite drum solo yeah. um, besides yours? Yeah, you know, right. that wasn't part. Of, it wasn't. Yeah, understanding no one can reach your level. Yeah, uh, you know that's not uh, Phil. Probably the preface. And you can't say Phil Seaman, Art Blakely. <laughs> yeah, no. um, today. Yeah, right. or you, Elvin Jones or Phil or uh, mm -hmm. Max Roach. Yeah. You got to pick somebody right. now, and and who who's your favorite drum solo would be would be my question out to him. So that, mm -hmm. that's a good question. I 
I, I don't have any suggestions. Yeah, I would just be interested. What band? What rabbit yeah. hole could I go down mm-hmm. that that he would bring up? You know, it would be it would be fun to do. So that mm-hmm. that brings us to questions ten, which is cool. Like Ginger Baker, if you don't um, check check out this guy's bands, just mm-hmm. and outside of Cream, like listen to this. If you haven't heard Cream? Check out this. Yeah, just definitely really check good. out Cream. His early stuff. Uh, I wasn't that familiar with his early stuff. Yeah, and, and it, it's. It's actually pretty good. good. It's really it's good. It's just stuff, not popular. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. You'll, you'll really like it. The Grand Bond organization, mm-hmm. check it out. Yeah. There's some amazing tracks that are out there um, that are that are good. If you uh, if you stuck with us on the live podcast, thanks. If you're mm-hmm. if you joined us on later, thank you too. Uh, make sure you hit the like button and mm-hmm. subscribe. And uh, um, yep, steep up there. Yep, up there. <laughs> you gotta pull your finger. We got it the way we got it edited. You gotta pull your finger. To, Yep, that's it's over there. Okay, yeah, there all right, over there. <laughs> um, so yeah, make sure you hit the like button, subscribe. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you got questions or comments, be sure to uh, drop a comment in there. Uh, my question, I'll put this in the, the comments once um, once it YouTube edits and stuff. Is uh, what's your favorite Ginger Baker song? You know, any band, yeah. any band. Yeah, what's any your favorite bands. Ginger Baker song? Right. So I'll, mm-hmm. I'll end it. I'll end it there. Anything? Wait, just one more thought before we sign off. Uh, thank you for watching. And also, uh, yeah, I mentioned that we're improvisers. Uh, we do comedy improv. And uh, we have a regular show at the Big Canvas Comedy Theater in Omaha. Uh, it's on Farnham, uh, about 36th and Farnham, 37th and Farnham. Uh, the second and fourth Thursdays. There we go. At so- 8.30. So please come see us if you're in Omaha. Or if you're not in Omaha, fly in. If come see in us. Omaha, come in. If you're in, if we have that listener in South Africa, uh, just fly in. It's worth the trip. It's a long flight. I, I'm not going to pretend. It's a long flight, but you'll you'll enjoy the comedy. It's good. It is good. And with that, make sure you hit subscribe so you know when we're playing next, and then we can give you updates on what we're doing both in the comedy world and on these podcasts. Cool. Thank Thanks. you.